need the mic a little bit. Yeah, okay. Sweet, can you guys all see like in front of you? Like, I'm starting to feel really old and now I make fun of my wife for this all the time. Like, um, we'll go to restaurants and she'll like put it up to her eyes. She's older than me, so it works. Um, but then she'll like borrow my phone and I always joke on her and now I'm realizing it's not that funny. Um, <laughs> I'm really excited to chat with you guys this evening. Um, have some stuff on my heart I'd love to share with you guys. Uh, the topic that I was told uh, you guys are wanting to go through is the topic of waiting on the Lord. And so knowing that topic, uh, knowing that I've done it firsthand, knowing that you guys have done it firsthand, I thought it'd be something really cool to kind of explore together. And so we're going to be going through a couple points tonight. The first point is going to be um, how the saints wait upon the Lord. We'll kind of go through that first. Then we'll go through what are we waiting for? It's going to be our second point. And then our third is going to be how do I wait well? And so I'm really looking forward to this. And before we dive in, um, let's just pray one more time uh, to just ask God to show us more of himself this evening. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and the fact, God, that we're even here and that we can have Bibles in front of us, that we can have the ability to gather. Lord, moments like these, especially in news of other areas and seeing how chaotic uh, other countries can be, make us so grateful to realize that we have a beautiful gift of freedom, that we get to gather in a public facility. We get to gather here and partake of your word that has been printed out. These words, God, that were carried first by uh, the children of Israel from generation to generation, and then in even more recent years was carried over from scribes to print printers and from printers to mass printers. And now we have digital versions on our phone. And it's crazy that each and every single word was preserved by so much effort, so much dedication, so much conviction to who you are and what you've said. And Lord, knowing that you're so committed to communicating to your people, we know, Lord, that tonight, that's what you're going to do because you want to. And so, Lord, I pray you just bless us to know that you will speak to our hearts, you will encourage us, you will correct us, but most of all, you will show us Christ and Christ crucified, Christ for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that, and we praise you for that, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so you guys said you can see, so I'm going to have you guys open up your Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Luke. All right, the book of Luke. I'm going to have to, like, use a little light here. No one is allowed to tell my wife this if you guys meet her, okay? Goodness, you guys literally don't know how much I joke on her on this. So Luke chapter 1, you guys won't have to go far into Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Um, and a little bit about me as you guys even turn over there. As Nate was saying, um, I used to be uh, at the Bible College in Marietta. I was actually the director of all the Bible Colleges we had internationally and domestically. So I was a pastor for about five years and I had a conviction to leave. And it's weird because I ended up in the mortgage industry. <laughs> Not really a transition most pastors make. Um, There's a lot of reasons that kind of, kind of drew me to the mortgage industry. And now I'm in this really interesting spot where, you know, there was a time where I 
was helping start churches. I was traveling the world. I've been to about 22 countries um, so far. Um, I love being able to go and share with people the good news and the life that Christ has given us. Um, and now, uh, again, I'm in a really unique spot. And I'm looking forward to what's next as well, which is, in my heart, to start another church and be able to have that operated, uh, hopefully, out of Orange County. And so, with all that said, like, like I shared in the beginning, I feel like I'm in a real unique spot, right? Going from a pastoral role to this role. And then going from this role and going, what in the world do you have next? But I can tell you right now, looking around, I can only imagine what unique spots you're in, right? This is a time where we're trying to figure life out, right? We're told to don't grow up too fast, but then at the same time, you're expected to grow up faster than you are. <laughs> you got to find out who you are quickly because high school comes to an end, junior high comes to an end. And so there's all these pressures around us. And so all of us being in this unique spot, I think it's encouraging to look back at some of the saints and see how they waited. Looking at Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we're going to explore this kind of in a very relaxed format, and so don't be too weirded out if I ask you questions and expect an answer. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Let's stop there real quick. You guys all know this, right? Observation, interpretation, application. Who's never heard that before? Never heard that before? Is this your first Wednesday, uh, Monday? No? Nathan? Uh, it's like 101. So it's this premise of when you're looking at any text, you want to just point out first observations. What are you observing in the text? Right? So right off the bat, use a different word, observations, things that stand out. What stand out to you right off the bat when we're reading that? Say that again. Priest. Priest. Gosh, that sounds out right away. Why is that even important? It's going to set up the fact of these real people who had real lives and real responsibilities. right? Another thing that stands out in the days of Herod, keep in mind, Luke is actually a book that someone wrote. It's not just some weird book that your parents have given you that now you're committed to reading. right? It's not just some overly sacred, you know, mysterious thing that we just have birthed in front of us. This is a real book that a real dude who was a doctor took a real feather or papyrus pen or whatever they use in that time. And he wrote out these letters on a scroll in the forms of letters. <laughs> and we now put these together and call it the book of Luke. And he's writing about a real time. And he shows that right off the bat, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. This is their equivalent of years, right? There wasn't this set 2021, 2020 back then. Everything was reference point. And so you have this real guy who's trying to communicate to you a real event. And he's going, look, this real event that took place at this real time, it's about this real dude. Who's what? A priest. What else do you guys see stand out? No, 
nobody in the back's allowed to speak. <laughs> I like quietness. I don't get a lot of it. I have a five-year-old, a puppy, an amazing wife who's pregnant. And I'm always on call for work, so stand here all night. His wife was from a priestly line. Next time, we're going to make the rule that no one above the age of 19 can answer. <laughs> um, so two things to know, right? Real place, real time, this real dude who has a real position married this real woman who's from a priestly line too, right? Do you guys notice that? Do you guys notice that? It says her name was Elizabeth, or she was from the daughters of Aaron. Who's Aaron? The high priest, the first high priest, every one of his lineage, all his children and his children's 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 children, all of them were already dedicated to be people who were serving in the priesthood. Do we have any PKs here? More than likely, you guys are going to be in some sort of ministry, right? The difference between you and them is you're not obligated to, even though it feels like it, right? Like for them, they're 100% obligated to. They don't have another option. They have to be priests. Okay, so that's interesting. What's it say about them? Verse 7, but they had no, chil no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. What does that mean? Elizabeth can't have kids and what? She's old. Right? That's what advanced in years is. Right? You guys can go up to your parents tonight and be like, I learned that you're advanced in years. <laughs> right? Tell them Nathan taught you that. Um, <laughs> that. That's the reality with these guys, right? So this is like another Abraham and Sarah story. Right? This is God even bringing to pass these pillars of faithfulness. You guys catch that? Like when you think about old people having babies in the Bible, who do you think of? Right? No one thinks about Elizabeth and Zechariah. Yet, as Luke is starting the book that's going to be talking about the real Jesus who really died for your sins, he's starting it with these pillars of remembrance going, here's what God is doing. He's bringing birth to people who are way past the age of being able to give birth. This is like seeing, I don't know their exact ages, it would be stipulation, but I can imagine that it would be seeing like a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old pregnant. Equivalent, right? Maybe not that old. But <laughs> it's, it's pointed out here by Luke, they're old. This isn't something that was being expected. And keep in mind too, like here we think about, oh, if you're not having a kid, that's a good thing, right? In our culture, that's a good thing. It can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. I'm not here to give a perspective on that. But back then, I do know that it was a bad thing, right? Back then, you know, women didn't have a lot of job opportunity. One of the responsibilities that they had, just as much as the man had his responsibilities, she had her responsibility to be able to be fruitful and multiply and have children. And so if they couldn't have children, what did that do to them socially? Right? How do you think she felt? She didn't have what she thought she was purposed to have. 
She didn't have the outlet to use in her creativity as a mom and her nurturing as a mom. She would look at other women, right? And we're going to, this might sound like I'm just inferring into the text, meaning that I'm, I'm making stories up out of it. But as you're going to see at the end of this, there was definitely some sorrow there, which by deduction for me would mean jealousy, right? These are real people. Right? So I'm not going to go presumptuous on this, but I do want to point that out. So we've established something. Real people at a real time that Luke is really writing about. And these, are, these for us, these are saints. Right? When I say that word, how many of you guys are having like a Catholic radar go off? <laughs> right? Yeah, you guys are looking at me like, dude, you're weird. Right? So saints is literally just a term used for God's holy people. And this is a concept that I know Nathan's been trying to help you guys understand as well as we try to help each other understand more because we all forget it. You are God's holy people. These guys who are real people living a real life, doing real responsibilities, having a struggle with their own real sinful tendencies, they're saints. Let's see how these saints waited. Verse 8, now it happened that while he was performing, oh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 8, yeah. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. We'll stop real quick. So when we're looking at that, a couple more things to point out. Did you see all the descriptions that Luke started giving there? What are some of the descriptions that you guys see he's giving there? Because I saw everyone nod. <coughs> what are all the descriptions, people under 18? Okay. Yeah, so there's... The, those incense, was being, Luke is bringing those pieces out that they're being burnt. Does, does anybody here know what incense are? Yeah? Yeah, well, no incense. Do we actually know what they are outside of kind of the, the pot circle? <laughs> no? <laughs> okay, so incense are actually biblical. Um, <laughs> for you guys that didn't know, that doesn't mean pot's biblical, so don't try to combine that. It's not what we're saying here. Little sinners. Um, <laughs> Right, what, what we are showing is that there's something being burnt. And keep in mind, these incense, this is how God was being able to relate to his people. Right, we have to try to think outside of this virtual world that we've all isolated ourselves into called our phone. Right, and we have to realize that back in the day, like today, if I want to show you what happened, most of us don't even have to say a story of it, right? We just, look, watch, press play. You see everything. You can see what's going on. You can understand this happening. That's stimulus, right? What's coming to, what's happening is the visual piece is helping you bring understanding. So now take it another step. How many of you guys see pictures of yourself when you're younger and you're like, I don't remember much about my youth, but I just remember that moment. Am I the only one? Okay, cool. Nodding heads. Great. How many of you guys get certain smells that when you smell something, all of a sudden, boom, a memory clicks. These are all senses God has given us. And it's interesting to see that back in this time, before there was a press play button that you can do, 
God was providing his people truce to engage their senses in remembering him. And so when we're looking at Zechariah here in the, in the temple, Zechariah is going into the temple, and I know you guys were going to say so many descriptions, so I'll just pause you guys and I'll give them away for you. Right? Some of these descriptions were the fact that uh, Zechariah was chosen by Lot. Who is Lot? No, that's, it, it was like dice, right? Like it was chosen by random. It's like picking straws, right? So he was chosen by random to go and be a part of serving God in this thing that was so holy. He, was, he got these incense. He burnt them before the Lord in the actual temple. This is a legit temple. This isn't like, you know, we're just like, hanging out at church, smelling some stuff. Remember, temple for God's people, this was one place that every single person in God's kingdom, quote-unquote, would have to come to. Three times a year, every Jewish man who was a good Jewish man would have to come here. This was the place of worship. Zechariah gets to go to the place that everyone has to go to, and he gets to do the thing that not everyone gets to do, and it's this thing that is reminding people of, their, of the God who's hearing them, of the God who's interacting with them, of the God who's there for them. We can go into a ton on the description of the temple, right? But the principle is there. This is a very special thing that's happening. Okay, so let's move on as we're building up here because I see everyone's getting super excited. Um, we're going to look at verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In verse 18, we're going to read a little bit here, so buckle up. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife, keynote here, guys, is advanced in years. You can tell your daddy's old, but your mom, no. Uh, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you do not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Gosh, it's so hard to read. I don't know how you guys know this. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. 
After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace from among men. <coughs> Sorry about that. Sorry, I wanted to read that so that I don't have to keep doing this like little jittery thing with you guys. So to kind of recap what we just went through, because you guys all understood that, right? Everyone got that? Cool, so we go home. Okay, sweet. So what we saw, right, was that Zechariah is in this temple doing this really special thing. What takes place? Angel comes to him. And what does the angel say? First of all, do not be afraid, which is understandable because this big creature of light just came out of nowhere, right? And he's supposed to be in the temple by himself. Definitely fearful. Yet the angel goes, do not be afraid. What are the next things he says? Before that, your prayer is heard. What does that imply? Yeah. He's been praying for a child. What else does that imply? God hears. What else? God answers. Could probably imply, too, that Zechariah's been what? Waiting? He's advanced. He's old. He's like, I'm an old man. Right? Zechariah has been waiting for this thing. And it's interesting because when the angel says, God has heard your prayer, he doesn't go, God has heard your prayer specifically to have a kid. He says two things. He goes, God has heard your prayer. You're going to have a kid. And he's going to save, he's going to help Israel come back to obedience. Both of those prayers could have been Zechariah's. Right? Both of those could have been. I don't know which one, but I do know it's probably both. <laughs> and when I look at that, it's interesting because all of a sudden, Zechariah, whatever his heart's been longing for, and there might have been a turmoil, right? There's this thing of, I want the things that I want for my physical desires. I want a kid. And then there's also this other aspect that he's a priest praying and interceding upon, God's, upon God per his people, right? The priest had a very unique position. Jesus wasn't around yet. Right? So the way you and I relate to God by just praying to him directly and knowing that he hears us is so foreign to these guys in this time. God didn't hear just like that concept. He heard on a different structure of acceptance. And this was all brought on how the Old Testament sacrifice, right? Who did the sacrifices? The priests. The priests were physical symbols of how God was interacting with his people only through the means of priesthood and sacrifice. Right? So before I lose you guys, that's kind of the picture of what we're seeing. So Zechariah is in this position that's foretelling Jesus. Because Jesus is what? Our great high priest. So Zechariah is in this position and he's praying probably both of these things, which I'm sure a lot of us can be honest and go, the things I'm waiting upon for, sometimes I have selfish motives, and the other things, I have really godly motives. I just want God to, you know, bring me my wife so that I can bless her. No? Okay. So, all those pieces, right? We, we're mixed up in our motives. With that, let's press pause. All of a sudden, Gabriel says, hey, heard your prayer. Your prayer is being answered. Then what does Zechariah do? He doubts. And he goes, how do I know that these things are even going to come to pass? And what does Gabriel say? 
says, he already said, don't be afraid. He says, dude, I'm Gabriel. Literally, you just had an angel show up who stands at the right hand of God and he just told you, God has heard your... You didn't tell me you've been praying for this. Right? This is... Gabriel's like, are you kidding me? You're a priest who's been... Your only job is to study God's word and realize that he answers prayers so that you can tell that to everyone else. I literally just told you God answered your prayer and you're going to tell me how the heck am I supposed to know? What do you mean you're, how are you supposed to know? You're supposed to live whatever 50 years of life you've lived studying God's word to know you're supposed to know. So you want to know? Fine. You're not going to be able to talk until this comes to pass. Dang, that's crazy. Right, he comes out of the temple. I mean, imagine this, right? He, I mean, I can only imagine, and this is Sosi, inserting Sosi, because I would be prideful, right? Oh, I'm going to be the priest this year who goes in and does the incense while all you guys are out here praying because you're not able to be as close as I can, right? I come out thinking that everyone's going to be so grateful for my great incense burning because they're praying outside and I get to be the one in here, right? And then you come out just like... Everyone knows something happened. He can't speak. Literally can't speak. And then what happens? Elizabeth gets pregnant. And what does she say? She says, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace from among men. Which implies what? She's had disgrace. Remember we said that it was probably really hard for her to be a non-pregnant woman in her time? Which is so interesting because what, what I want to point out here before we go into our next point, and I know we got very short of time, so we're going to finish really quickly, but what I want to point out is these guys are saints, right? The Bible literally just said they walked righteously and were perfect and were blameless. Yet what do we see these guys do? As they're waiting, they have doubt. They make God's promises about them. Did you guys catch that? Oh, it's all about me now. God's going to take away my disgrace. Wait, I thought God just promised that he's going to give you a child so that he can bless all of the other people. You know what it helps us understand? The saints don't wait perfectly. Right, the, the topic that I wanted to kind of talk about tonight was the truth about waiting. The truth is, I can't think of a perfect example of someone other than Christ who has actually waited well. Right, I asked Nathan that earlier, and I've still been trying to think of it. If you could think of it, it doesn't ruin my whole point, but it's something that's been provoking my curiosity. We're like, who's waited perfectly? First thing comes in my mind, too, is Nathan's was Moses. Oh, the guy who was so impatient that he smacked the rock and he couldn't go into the promised land? That guy? Whoa. That's crazy. When we start realizing it, before we even talk about how do we learn how to wait well, first let's realize no one is perfect. 
Even people who walk righteously, who've been doing the right religious activities, who have been committed to God, right? Zechariah wasn't like Abraham. He didn't just go get his slave pregnant. Zechariah was committed to God. He was still serving him every single time. He was still fulfilling his opportunities. He was still burning his incense. He was still doing all the things that God had called him to be doing while he waited. Yet he didn't wait perfectly. And neither did Elizabeth. Which is so encouraging because it means that the pressure is off, guys. Doesn't mean you're excused to be imperfect, but it helps you realize, gosh, let me take a breath. Let me relax a little bit as I wait upon God. Let me not beat myself up so much for seeing my flaws. Why? Because here's what we're waiting for, right? I, I can ask you guys all, what are you guys waiting for? Majority of the guy, 99.9% of the guys would say something about a female, right? <laughs> I would have. Um, I, don't, I can't even guess what girls would be waiting for, like makeup to arrive, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but what I do know we're all truly waiting for is something that is described for us in Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with God, in Christ, hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. This is a weird verse to say about what we're waiting for, right? All of us have the very kindergarten answer that my five-year-old can answer. What are we waiting for? Jesus. What about it, though? What about him? Did you guys catch something in here? It says, seek things above. Why? Because you need to be super perfect right now? You do need to be super perfect, but that's not why he's saying, keep your eyes on seeking things above. Why is he saying seek above? Did you guys catch that in verse 3? You have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me see if, I, if you guys can catch it even better. Your life is hidden with Christ. Your stage of life right now, everyone identifies as like when you're discovering yourself. Right? I'm That's <laughs> so weird to say. I am 30 years old. Dang, that's weird. Um, I'm still figuring out who I am. I've been married, this, this, this next March 31st marks two years of being married. Let me take the words from another preacher. My wife has been married probably to three guys since we first got married. Why? Not because I believe in that kind of marriage, but because I've changed that many times. Right? Your, your age of discovering yourself, guess what? It's not going to end. You know what's the best discovery that I can encourage you guys on? Your life, the life I'm trying to find, the discovery I'm trying to make of myself. Right? Think, be real about it. Right? What are you trying to find out? What brings me pleasure? What brings me satisfaction? What brings me joy? What brings me rest in being me? Who am I? 
What brings me stability of thought? What brings me excitement of emotion? What brings me all these things we're all wanting to be, right? We all want to be happy. We all want to feel accomplished. We all want to be productive. We all want to feel like we could just be. We're all trying to find out who we are. Yet in the text, it says something so interesting. Your life is hidden with Christ. Guys, you died. And that's a good thing. Your life now, everything that you're trying to discover, you know why he says seek the things above? Because that's where your true life is. You literally are in Christ, and Christ has given himself to you. That's why for us Christians, when I say, hey, you don't have to wait perfectly, the reality of this message is you do have to wait perfectly, and Christ has waited perfectly for you. Now, in him, you get to enjoy the rest of that. Which brings us to our last point, right? So we talked about how do saints wait? What are we waiting for? In reality, we're waiting for Christ. And what that means is full satisfaction of you being you. You enjoying him. And the third point here is how do we wait well? Well, look back in Luke, and we're going to end with this. When you start reading through the other verses in Luke, you're going to see all the way to Luke verse 1, or chapter 1, all the way down to verse 30. I had it written down, and for some reason it's not. Oh, I couldn't even re read my own writing earlier. Um, so look in the 50s. Look at 59. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. And then when you jump down to 64 and at once, and this is after uh, Zechariah says in verse 63, and he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, because remember he couldn't speak. His name is John. And they were all asto asto astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loose, and he began to speak in praise of God. Our third point here, what just happened? Zechariah names his son John, like Gabriel said, great job, good answer. And what takes place then? He starts talking. You know what's crazy? God did what he was going to do whether John was perfect about, or Zechariah was perfect about it or not. You know how much rest there is in that, guys? My encouragement to you tonight, my encouragement to myself, is as we wait, like saints, imperfectly, as we're all waiting for the same thing, to be reconciled with the one who is our life, with the one who gives us the greatest imagination, of satisfaction and joy and excitement and love that we could even imagine. As we wait for all this to come to pass, here's the reality. God's going to do it. Period. With all your mistakes, with all your accomplishments, with all the times you nail it and totally fail it, God's going to do it. He's going to finish the good work he started in us. He's going to give us the good gifts of his son. He's going to accomplish everything. And when you forget that, 
He's going to be faithful to bring people in your lives to remind you. Tonight, it gets to be by an ex-pastor who does debt now. That's what I do. I give people debt. <laughs> He's going to remind you through that guy. And throughout the week, it might be through your booger-nosed friend who's texting you in the group text. Right? This is the beauty. Christ has given himself to us. Christ is in your neighbor. Christ is in his text. Christ is speaking to us this evening going, I will complete my good work. I love this so much. And I hope that tonight we're able